Nobody wakes up and goes, ah, man, I have a story problem. They don't. They have a sales problem. They have a marketing problem. Their teams aren't happy. You know, we've got to figure out, are they going to come back to work or not? You know, there's like all these things going on in the world that can be solved by story, but they're not story first kind of a problem. Right, right. Story is the solution, but people don't realize it's the solution. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. Today, I'm talking to Chris Brogan about story. If you spend any time online, researching, learning about marketing, messaging, advertising, content creation, you've been hearing about story. We all know story is super important. That's the easy part. The hard part is how to tell a good story. And not just a good story, but an effective story. A story that helps you with your business goals. That's why I invited Chris Brogan on the show. Chris started a podcast in a service called Story Leader, and the goal was to help people tell better business stories. His first episode did such a good job describing what the promise of the show was. In fact, it was so well done that I would use that as an example. I sent links to many of my podcast coaching and consulting clients and told them, listen to this as a great example of how to set up the premise of your show clearly using story. The last time I went to share it, I noticed it was gone. So I contacted Chris and he said he had taken the podcast down, but he said, you can interview all the information out of me. I thought I was just recording it for my clients, but it was such a great conversation that it very quickly became a podcast episode. If you want to hear that original episode, just drop me a line. You can find my contact form at madmotion.com and mention that you're looking for the Chris Brogan episode. So you have this great episode of Story Leader, which is no longer there. And I've been using it as an example with some of my clients to just say, this is really a great example of telling a compelling story, engaging curiosity, but also really clearly laying out the promise of the show. So I would send that to people who either had a show and kind of needed a good example or were launching a show. And you've taken it down and gone in a different direction. And you kindly offered to let me interview it out of you. But this is hard for me to interview out of you because you're actually great at it. And I'm not even sure the best questions to ask. So understanding that I wouldn't begin to tell you what was on that episode because like out of mind into the ether. But what I tried to sell and what went nowhere when I tried to sell it until... When I took it off the menu, then someone bought it. What I tried to sell was the idea that a story is the best possible unit of memory. I use that term instead of unit of measurement, right? Like it's a little play on your head. So right then, I've already imparted part of what Story Leader does. Story is the basic unit of memory. You hear that and you go, oh, I kind of want to remember that. I like that little phrase. Oh, that feels clever. And you put it in your little mental pocket. That's what I'm selling. Like I can tell you in one sentence why I do what I do. With companies and life and business and work and everything like that, there's what we do and there's why we do. And as much as I've always, always, always derided that start with why book, because I think it's a, uh, you know why my my grandmother worked at a mill? Because she freaking had to work. Oh like, my God, know? I'm so glad. I don't want to get too off topic, but this is one yeah. of the things that gets under my skin right now is I love the idea that millennials are purpose-driven in their jobs. And I admire that. I respect that. But I also 
feel like feeding your family is a great purpose. Yeah. You want to know why? Because you freaking need to pay your mortgage. Right, That's why. Right, like, right. there's why. So I've always felt like it's a very classist sort of response or something. I don't think that's what it was intended, but that's how I take it. It rubs yeah. me raw. My family elevated the middle class, but we started lower class and I most definitely side with those people wherever I go. Like if, yeah. if there's working people, I will talk to them much sooner than I'll talk to fancy Tesla drivers. But listen to all that conversation. That's story leader too, right? right. Like I've imparted stories. My Grammy worked in a mill. I don't like the Tesla drivers. I could say small things that connect our heads together. So story is a way to tell us what we should or shouldn't be thinking about or should or shouldn't be doing that sticks to the bones a little bit more than a rule. Like don't put your hand in that machine is way different about like, did I tell you about the time I saw a guy's <laughs> hand get ripped right off his arm, right? I live in a factory and this building used to be, so back way before Detroit was that for cars, this was that for carriages. In all of the US, like a lot of the carriages came from this town. And in this building that I live in was the first non-union labor revolt for child labor because one of the kids got ground up in the machine or like one too many kids got ground up in a machine. One too many. And the other kids said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Like, this isn't safe. Like, we should probably get some safety in here. Little kids are saying this to grownups. So I tell that story to layer another story on. The story says, Whoa, that's gross. Ugh, dead kid. So you think more about don't put your hand in the machine. This is story leader. Story leader is leadership by using stories instead of metrics, stories instead of small rules, things that people are going to remember and stick. It's just a better operating system. It's a better programming language for human brains because our brains latch to stories. So I feel like a lot of people are sold on the idea of story which is why LinkedIn suddenly has all these story experts and story coaches and storytellers and things like that. But I don't think everybody knows how to do it. I know that they don't, but the opposite is that they also think they do or they think they don't need anyone to charge them to teach them that. And I know this, like to your point about LinkedIn or something like that, when I see someone has story something or rather in their title, I'm just like, oh, and I roll my eyes and I tried to sell it. But I think also that's one reason why it wasn't selling for me either is that nobody wakes up and goes, ah, man, I have a story problem. They don't. They have a sales problem. They have a marketing problem. Their teams aren't happy. You know, we've got to figure out, are they going to come back to work or not? You know, there's like all these things going on in the world that can be solved by story, but they're not story first kind of a problem. Right, right. Story is the solution, but people don't realize it's the solution. So how do you tell a good story. I mean, this is like one of the great mysteries to me. As many times as I've talked to experts about it, it just still feels really mysterious. And it can be. And, and I think there's so many smarter people than me that could probably say it in a really simple formula. So what I'll say is what I know how to do, which is to me, the things to make a story work are there always has to be some kind of a conflict and there a goal. There has to be some we're going from here to there. Because if I just explain what clothing I'm wearing, that's not a story. That's a recounting and accounting of information. The very, very basic definition of a story is just that, an accounting of information. Mary went to the store. She bought some coconut water because she likes that stuff. That's it. That's a story. It's the worst story anyone ever like, had to hear. <laughs> but then when she was at the aisle and she was getting ready to grab the coconut water, this other person said, do you know what goes into making coconut water? And you were like, no, not really. And Next thing you know, they tell you all the politics and the global changes that happen to have coconut water just so your 
whole foods butt can enjoy it and how wrong you are. And, you know, not you, but I'm just making it up. And so the end of that, you kind of remember that conversation way more than you remember coconut water. So story has conflict, you know, man, this person was so upset. But then the more I thought about it, even if I wasn't going to tell this person, they were probably right. And I changed my mind, right? So something changed at the end of a story. So where's the conflict in, like, I completely was swayed by the difference between don't stick your hand in the machine, it'll get ground up. And one day a kid fell in the machine and his hand was ground up. What we do with a story like that, we work at a factory floor, we've got this machine and this machine's pretty deadly, but boy, we still get injuries from it. We can't figure out why. It's almost like there's a glowing light that says, you know, put your hand in this machine. So the story tells what's going to happen. And the story tells the sort of outcome. Sometimes we need stories as a way to better visualize more context. So humans have this thing that almost no other animal has, which is, boy, I really need to understand the context of this. I need more than you saying, just do this. And a lot of times as bosses, we're just trying to get the thing done. Like, just do the thing for me, please. And what story does, the story gives us the, this is what's over the other side of the fence. And while I think there's times where we don't want to do that or why we think we feel like we're trying to rush, every time we rush and leave that part out is where we make a mistake. Story helps us contextualize lots of things. So for instance, if I say the way we end this show every time is I end it rather abruptly in the middle of a sentence even. But don't do anything. Just sit put. This is what's going to happen. And then we'll say goodbye to you properly, like known adults. When we do that, the person goes, oh, I know what's going to happen in this story. And it's almost like the way you don't read stories for pleasure, but it's the way you would read a story for instruction. Because I've just given away the ending of the story before it's happened. And then we do it. And they go, hey, that happened the way you said it was going to happen. That's one way to use story. Story is illustrative of an event that could happen that we maybe can't envision on our own. And so sometimes it's a useful tool. I love the image of what's on the other side of the fence. I don't know if it will be published before I publish this, but I just interviewed Todd Church's visual leadership. And he talks about the importance of seeing whether actually or in our mind's eye. And I wonder if there's an element of that, because as you kind of gave these examples and I heard the kind of the rule versus the story, all of a sudden I had a picture in my mind and that made it more memorable for me. Right. I could put a scoop of vanilla ice cream in a dish and you'd say, oh, that was nice. You gave me vanilla ice cream. I could put a scoop of vanilla ice cream in a dish and I could drizzle some chocolate syrup on the top and I could go insane and put rainbow jammies on or sprinkles if you're not in Massachusetts. So I could do that. And then I say rainbow sprinkles and your head goes, I totally see this ice cream. So the thing that's added to the story to make it even more impactful, probably what Todd was doing, is a little bit of visualization, a little bit of impact, just a small amount of detail. Now, where people get this one wrong is they treat detail like the meal and not the condiment. Like it's supposed to just be a little bit of ketchup on the bun. Mm. It can't be everything. You can't say, so I was in Chicago and I went to this meeting, but you know, <laughs> Chicago has this you know super famous Chicago hot dog. Do you know what I mean? It's got the one with the sport peppers on top. I didn't even know they were called sport peppers. I still don't know why they are sport peppers. And so you're like, well, wait, wait, wasn't the meeting what we're supposed to be hearing about? And you're like, stop talking about the hot dog, right? It's such so a great way to say it, right? Though that it's a it. condiment. It's not the sandwich. Not the meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what you need is just some detail. Because if I went back and told you that story about the, they're filling it, we don't even know what it is. They're filling it 80-ish percent on that one and all the rest of them were 100%. If I said, if you're filling their bucket of paint at Home Depot and it's that perfect lavender paint that they're putting in their nursery, 
and they find that, you are now nursery and lavender and you are off to the races. What's funny is I've pictured something. What'd you have? I had a, a glass milk jug. Oh, I like it. So I love the idea of seeing what's on the other side of the fence. And I love the idea of the condiment versus the meal, right? Mm-hmm. I think we talk a lot about story. And again, going back to the origin of this, I wanted to talk to you because you gave this great example. How can people do what you did? So use, let's make it even super specific. You were launching a podcast and you did this beautiful job of telling a story and at the same time, really clearly laying out the promise of what was to come in this show. Marion, that one takes a little bit of planning, preparation, craft, and repeat practice. That one's not easy. I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday. They were an author, and they were saying, every now and again, I get a little, these are my version of their words, but it was like, every now and again, I get kind of crabby because everyone thinks it could be an author. You know, They've got a laptop, they could type, they're an author. That's like the furthest thing from accurate. Just because you have a keyboard doesn't mean you can write stories. So the craft of story. Well, look at what you read back to me. So right before we had said this, you said, I really like the idea of looking over the fence. So what I did in every single case was I gave you a super small phrase that you could take with you. That was the encapsulation. So every time I do a thing, I'm putting something in there on purpose. that You may, maybe don't notice, but then later you're totally using it. Like, you know, oh, I totally used that phrase that he used. When I try to tell a story the way you're talking about is the story illustrates the example and every little piece of it then becomes sensible once you walk away and, and take a second look. It's never on the first look or, or sometimes you kind of get that sense of, are they doing something to me right now? But you can't fully get it. And then when it's finally done, you look back, you wait a second. And that's the trick. Like if I do it well, if I do it poorly, you go, hmm, he's assigning me something right here. He is, he's prescribing. That's the word I was trying to eat out of my Has mouth. this become intuitive for you or is yes. this an intention? So. Could you break down for someone who doesn't already know it, what some of the pieces are? Okay. So let's say a big fatso is getting ready to go back to the gym for the first time. And they're like every male fatso ever. Now, ever. first of all, I don't really know how to handle this because on the one hand, this is a podcast and you're pointing at yourself. And I want to explain that to the audience, but I also don't really feel comfortable calling so, you out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I'm a big rotund gentleman. <laughs> He's he had a lot of different sizes. A healthy, in my life. beautiful person. But for clarity, he was pointing at himself at that point. <laughs> so imagine a gentleman needs to go back to the gym. And whether or not this is sexist, it is rather statistically accurate that when men go back to the gym, they overdo it every single week. And the first time they get there, they pull something, they do something stupid, and then it takes even longer to get back to the gym. Let's just sort of presume that's accurate for the sake of my story. So now, let me do what I do. <sighs> well, I'm starting back to the gym. I thought this would be a great time to launch a podcast. This is my first ever podcast, by the way, 2005, Fat Guy Gets Fit. Fat Guy Gets Fit is a perfect podcast because as long as I never really get fit, then I can do this podcast for the rest of my life. So let's do this. I'm going to talk you through the whole process of what I'm going to do in my journey. So this is me setting up. See how I'm doing it? I'm going to talk to you the whole process of my journey. And I'm going to start today by first day back to the gym. So first off, I've got to do the thing anyone knows to do right before they go to the gym. Look around and realize you don't have gym clothes that fit you anymore because you're fat again. Oh, shoot. 
So then you order Amazon and you wait three days. So that saves you three days of gym going right there. So now I'm making you kind of laugh about, you know, haha, it's going to be a little funny, this show. And I did that by making a dumb joke, not by saying this show will be funny because the worst sentence in the world is this will be funny. It's like when you say things like, I have a clever idea. If you append clever to the idea, we've made a mistake here. So this is me illustrating the story. So even with this patois, even with me talking this way, this speed, this cadence, this style, small words, some big words, you get a feel for what the show is going to be. So then I say, okay, great. So let's go back to the gym. Here's what we're going to do. Four days have passed. I've got my clothes now. They look awful because you have to have a lot of shame and humiliation when you first go back to the gym, especially when you're at your fattest. And let's go over and do an exercise that has nothing to do with anything like uh, machine bench press. Like in the wild, you will never find yourself in a circumstance where you have to convince yourself that you have to push a metal bar on a lever away from your chest. Let's get it. And so I'd go and you'd hear the machines. And you're like, he probably did something, right? So as I'm illustrating and explaining and doing the episode, I'm sort of giving you steps and skills and ideas along the way. What I'm not going to do, as you start to hear, is like give you real instruction. All right, so here's what you're going to do. Like you're not listening to this for that. You're listening to it for humor a little motivation, a little, I could totally identify with this person compared to a very fit person. Because if you go listen to all the other gym podcasts, they're all really fit people telling you, you know, what you're going to do, fatso. And they're so inaccurate. You know, what you're going to do is you start with like 190 kettlebell squats. You're going to do some burpees because that's what every giant person wants to do is launch themselves at the ground a bunch of times in a row. So that's me doing all of the steps at once. And then in there, if I had to quiz you on the things you remember from this explanation, fatso, the word fatso, because they said it three times, e-e-e-e-e-e of the bench press machine, the fact that you'd never think of the mechanical bench press in the wild. And then the last one, that comparison contrast of what's different from the other shows. Look at all of the data I put into a three-minute made-up example on the fly. That's what business storytelling is and does. It's such a good example. And now what you do is you weave it into a story in a way that's memorable. And then what I try to do is this really boring thing, which is I try to break it down into like the pieces, the steps. And so we had the sort of the promise of what this show would be. We had a little bit of your personality, which was the humor. We had some sound effects, some details, right? some unexpected little details. Those were the condiments, the sprinkles. And then we had a recap at the end. What am I missing? Another way a good story ends of any kind is with just a sliver of what could come next. The best stories end intimating the next chapter. Can you give me an example? I might've finished that example by saying, and then in the next one, I would probably go into nutrition in the same sort of way. That's just one sentence. What do you do in right. your head? You start thinking, well, he was kind of funny about the gym. Let's see what he says about that. I totally want to get into that. Like a cliffhanger, but not. But it lets you paint part of it. Okay. I heard this on NPR, so it's probably true. Earworms. You know, the song gets stuck in your head and you yeah. can not see. And, and you find yourself singing always the worst song. It's never like some song you really love. So an earworm works if you hear part of the song, but you don't hear all of the song and you're mentally fill in the part that's missing. So the trick is, number one, you have to actually know the song. So if it's Rolling Stones, if you star me up, if you star me up, I'll... In your head, you're like, damn it. Because you stop. just said never stop, right? It's stuck. Now it's there. 
So that is how one gets an earworm. It doesn't always work, but that's how it works is you fill in the blank. Storytelling works best if I earworm you just a little by letting you fill in a few things to feel clever. So when I end that sentence, when I end that little package by saying, the next time I'm going to talk about nutrition, I don't know where your head goes, probably to oats, probably oatmeal, you know, oatmeal is a good one, right? So in your head, you suddenly think, is he going to talk about how to make those oats in a jar like you see on Instagram a lot? And that's where your head starts to go. And then you start adding to it. Well, are there going to be chia seeds in it? Because aren't those gross, right? So as we do this, you participate in stories forever have been participatory. Think about your favorite guest and your least favorite guest. The one who leave air for you to talk, they become your favorite guest. You can't help it. Well, you're my favorite guest. Of course, but I meant, you know, other than me. Other than you. You know, when you start every podcast, do you always start by saying we have a really special guest? Because I would um, love it for you to say one time ever, just we have a very normal guest. <laughs> Completely typical. Guest. I'm going to say that on your episode. That's great. Completely typical. I will say yeah, I have a very ordinary. normal. I haven't actually, I don't think I've used the word special, but I've probably used my equivalent. I've probably said it's exciting or it's very interesting. Very excited about today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I have. But that's because I am. Yeah, sure. But it it makes it funnier because it's almost like you just want to have the one episode where like, I'm not really especially motivated today, but whatever. I got a show to do. That will be yours. I just want to warn you. So, and you know, I was thinking about too, when you said, don't say this show is going to be funny. Right. You show it. And I realized, no wonder my kids roll their eyes at me when I say every single time we're doing anything, this is going to be so fun. Right. What you say is, I wonder if any kids were ever hurt doing this. (laughs) I should say that. (laughs) Some parents come back with one less kid than they had when they start. Depending on the kids, some kids would be like all for it. Others would be like, forget it, that I'm not going. My kids hate danger. So they'd be like super yeah. not into that. So I yeah, my mine case, actually I'm, hate danger too. But there's an yeah. equivalent. I could say this is going to be extremely boring. Correct. Like, I don't think you could possibly find any fun out of this. Like, yeah. you're going to have to dig deep to make this worth anything. I should definitely try that. Give it a go. So I think we might have covered this topic, but I feel I like I so. keep asking you the same question. And the reason is that, again... I still feel like it's just a great mystery. The best stories are, right? Why do we need a new Sherlock Holmes every however many years, right? Because it's, you know, we're just going to do it another way. Benedict Cumberbatch, it's modern. You know, Robert Downey Jr., he fights a little more. It's an action film. Like there's so many ways to tell something. And there's also one kind of fun project to do, especially if you're teaching a class or something, is get five people to tell the same story Mm -hmm. about some rabbit you found dead in the walk when you were taking the hike. Somebody's going to tell some kind of scary story. Someone's going to tell a story about when they were a kid, they, you know, had a really sad, crappy life. And it's a lot like salad. You know, my salads are super pathetic. I take a whole head of romaine because why wouldn't you? And then I just slice a few cucumbers haphazardly, all different sizes and shapes, poorly done. Sometimes I put tomatoes if I'm feeling sad. And then that's almost it. And then I'll probably put something stupid or like not related to salad, like pickles or um, pickled jalapeno or something. And then I will drizzle the smallest amount of dressing because I've learned that salad isn't supposed to be something with a spoon over time. Well, your salad could be this incredible thing and you chop it and you're like, I put 61 different colors in my salad because I want it to look like mosaic in your mouth. And all I think is just a few hours later when it's just a poop in your toilet and I don't care. And I think that's how stories work, right? Some people get their stories at the drive-thru 
And some people sit down and put a cloth napkin in their lap. When you are doing business storytelling, how much do you plan out to really make sure you get, especially those sort of nuggets that people walk away with, like, again, the over the fence or the condiments? Do you plan those? No, but another way to think about it might be, it's like improv, right? So I made up the stories I made up today just on the cuff. You know, I just sort of threw them out there. It's like improv. If you're a pretty good improv actor, then you just work in the moment. And you get that by practicing elements over and over and over and over and over again. So with fitness, I was joking about bench press. There's really just no equivalent to that in the real world. You're like, I have to push this away from my body eight times. That just is not a thing that ever happens in life. But what does happen a lot in life? Squats. Oh my gosh, our body is built like to lever, right? So if I talk about that, I talk about all the different ways, like, you know, even just getting in and out of chairs, even just that old people sound we make when we pass a certain year and we suddenly get in and out of chairs going, uh, and you're like, why did I make that sound? I didn't even have to make that sound. So those are story elements. And the other thing that sort of sprinkles the condiments and, you know, remembering things like over the fence is a little bit of preparation insofar as I think if I can think of a phrase, even if it's just in the moment, that really solidifies that thing, then that helps. And the one thing I do for sure plan thousands of percent is I always work backwards from an outcome. What do I need them to know or do when I'm Mm. done? You do do that. So you think of the outcome and you start to work backwards. And then do you just kind of go through your library of observed experiences and try to pick one out that applies? Love that question. I do. Because I I don't know where I park my car most days. Well, I actually got rid of my car, so now I know it's not anywhere. It's it's completely gone. Solved that problem. Fixed it. But I don't know really, like if you said, Chris, close your eyes, what are you wearing? I'd be like, a shirt, I hope. That's all I got. Because it doesn't matter to me. And I use that extra brain space. Like, did you fill out your forms? No, I probably didn't. If I use all that space for remembering story elements or something that happened, and I don't think to myself, I am capturing a story element. All I think is, I'm going to remember this because it made an impression on me and it'll come out. So here's an example, right off the dome, diagonally this way, about 14, 15 footsteps if I fell out a window, is a little small garden at the building where I live in this factory building. And it was made by this guy, Bruce. He makes it every year. He makes a flower garden. And it's very, uh, the colors change, things change. There's always something new happening. Every day, there's a different kind of bloom coming and something going. And some woman came to show off one of the lofts and she sort of, <laughs> about the garden. And she was like, this looks like it was laid out by a child. And Bruce's partner, Mary, said, that's because we have a childish appreciation for art and we like creativity. And the people we really think will do well in this building are artists and creatives. And that woman went <laughs> and wandered off. Now I see that garden and all I think is childish and creative and I love it more. And I don't even like flowers. I always just say, what's that? Oh, never mind. Don't tell me. Because I don't know the names. That, that's purple guy. And calling flowers purple guy and orange one and things like that is better for me. So that element goes in my head. And I think at some point, I'm going to hear a story need where someone's going to be told, this is how you do it right. And I'm going to say, instead of right, what if we did a creative? And then my mind will pick off that garden story. Story goes in. See how that works? That's the bucket. Yeah, I don't think I realized until right now how much observation is a huge part of this. And I think even 
when I was a kid and I would have an experience, you know, whether I'm riding the subway for the first time or running into a strange looking person on the sidewalk or whatever, I was already thinking about how I would go home and tell, you know, somebody about it. I was framing it at that time. It's like in film school, we had to make little observations and sketch them out. And I remember there was a story of, to hear I used the story, I didn't even mean to. One of those observations that I still, it just slays me, is this moment where there was a college reunion and there was an elderly couple. Remember when those um, disposable cameras came out in the cardboard sleeves? And they were trying to take pictures. It hurts me to even tell this. They were trying to take the pictures and they saw the cardboard wrapper and they unwrapped the camera. And I knew that these precious reunion memories were lost. And I thought, on the one hand, I was heartbroken. But on the other hand, I thought, this is like a diamond. Because you can tell that little story and it will move anyone. For sure. And as I thought it, I was like, what did they think? This is like a tube of toothpaste. Like you got to get it further unwrapped to get it. Yeah. The, like, what are you doing? But those stories stay forever. I have stories that my dad told me that I wasn't there that I remember as if they're my own. I'm Irish though. Yeah. So we steal stories. We steal stories. And there's this one where this guy is. So my dad heard this like third party. And that's, I hear it from him. And now that we're talking, this is a 47 year old story. This guy, Kent Hotham. I still remember his name. Comes home from work, very tired, comes into the driveway. His kid meets him out at the car. Hey, kid, how you doing today? And the kid says, I didn't paint the door green. That's the answer. <laughs> There's nothing surer than this kid painted a door green and that some part of this man's house now has a green door. And I love that story because, you know, you could tie that to something at work where, you know, we don't care who did anything. We just need to know something's been done. So we got to take care of it. When you say observation too, there's visual. And the other great thing we always can appreciate is that there's incredible opportunity to have audio, you know, like great dialogue. Great dialogue is so worth it. So maybe this is a technique that people who are not good at this yet could take away is just start watching throughout your day and noting, like observing. And I think maybe that's something that we as creatives have done subconsciously our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of the toolbox is collecting this library. Let's say you want to make quilts. Well, the way to make quilts is you collect fabric. If you want to do it the old timey way, you just take your t-shirts that don't fit because you got fat and you put them all in a box and you cut them all up later to make a t-shirt quilt, which is a really fun gift to give to people. Or you've been to every race that there's ever been in like 7,000 5Ks, you make t-shirt quilts. Well, what do you have to do today? You have to collect some stuff first. What do you do as a writer? Write what you know, they say. So you just collect stuff. You, know, you collect ideas or thoughts and you, you can always twist them. People are like, well, then how do you write science fiction? And I was like, well, because aliens abducted me, duh. But no, when you write about science fiction, Gene Roddenberry was writing about racism. He just made the aliens green instead of black people. And then you get it all of a sudden. Oh, so there's ways to kind of absorb and collect. But the challenge or the opportunity is that as artists, as creatives who have to use something for business impact, your job is, can you execute the act of collecting any old story, knowing that it's almost always going to be better if it comes from way outside the domain that you're going to use it in? 
There's a great book called Find Your Next by Andrea Yates. And Find Your Next is she would like watch something happen at Kentucky Fried Chicken and then go and tell truck drivers, you know, how to change their business with it. Mm. She would see something in a kindergarten class and bring it over to like a bank. And this is the thing. You'll never find innovation following all the other people doing the same thing. Let's just keep really milking that gym analogy. They didn't invent CrossFit by going to Gold's Gym. They didn't like sit there and go, hmm, look at those people use that leg calf machine. They thought maybe there's a better way to do this. And they totally went off the rails and looked at all kinds of disciplines and made it into something. If you want to be the person that gets known as that storyteller, what you have to do is you have to go far afield and bring back things. I've come from the new world and I have brought you Spanx. I love that. That's such a simple and obvious observation. I have a friend who says, you know, when you get good advice, you know right away because it just makes sense. Yeah, that's one of those things that I think like, I think I knew that already, but I didn't know I knew it. You know, that's just very clear. So if we were to kind of recap some of the things that people can do, number one, probably, is to collect this library of observations, but to do it outside of, especially if they're doing it for business purposes, to pull stories from, to collect, to assimilate all these ideas and stories from outside of their area of expertise or their business or their business goals so that they can use them. And number two is... Do not say you are a funny show. Show you are a funny show Mm -hmm. by being funny, which is incredibly hard. Let's see. We use details as condiments rather than as the meal. And we have to get these phrases. I think I'm still stuck on those little memorable recap phrases. And the other one that I'm stuck on is how to make them interactive. You gave the example of next time I'll talk about nutrition and that gets you to think about maybe it's oats. Can you explain that one a little bit more, how you can leave space for the listener to kind of catapult their own imagination and keep going with it? So those memorable phrases, just to give you that one too, it's always a summary. And so all you think is, can I say this summary in a different way than another human would say it but close enough that it's going to really tie back. Like if I say to you, never judge a turnip by its roots, you're going to be like, what? And you know, I'm basically trying to say never judge a book by its cover, but I went so far afield that you're like, huh? Like you have to be close. So I might say, never judge a cover by its book. And that is to say, that's a great cover, but who knows if the book's going to be any good, right? So that'll stick with you because you've always heard it the other way. When you were saying something about, you know, we got to gather up all these things and make these collections, it popped into my head. Don't design a car by ripping up car magazines. So that's an easy sentence. It's so funny because that's actually the opposite of the way I explain editing. The way I explain editing, most people think of editing as, and this is more in like video and documentaries, but you have your footage and you take out the bad parts. That is not what editing is. Editing is like you take 50 magazines and you cut out a word here and a picture there, and you make a collage, and you put together the pieces that show what you want to say, that express it in a clear way by bringing all these pieces together. So it's funny, you do kind of design a film by taking a bunch of car magazines and and gluing them together. Well, right. But yes, 
Let me, let and, me. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the concept is not inaccurate that you could, you know, collaging is a perfect analogy for what one does to make a film. It's beautiful. So smart to say it that way. I think it's the best way I've ever heard it, to be really honest. And what you're saying is there's two types of sculptors, right? Like Michelangelo pulled David out of the stone by chipping away all the parts that weren't David. A lot of people who are not Michelangelo build. So they take a gooey clay glob and they make it into a muscly dude. And that's how they made David. So the don't use a car magazine to make a car, though, is a different point. Now this, by the way, this is the crux of storytelling. Your head went to another place that I didn't mean for it to go. So I didn't make a great example. So my example was never rip up car magazines to design a car. What I mean is don't use the source material Mm. that's so close to the material. But you went, oh, I know something about ripping up magazines, a collage. And so one of the things that's why do I end with like a really concise ending and tell you this is what you should have picked up from this? Because that can happen. You walk away going, he's so right. Yes, I use collages to build, which by the way is forever what I'm going to say to people about making a film now. So, but you give me credit. Of course. But I gave the wrong analogy for the car magazine thing. Or I could have given it a better one. So that's one. The summaries, that's where I was going with that. So summaries are just a sentence that's told slightly different or slightly off that make it much more memorable. When I say something about we're going to know what's on the other side of the fence, that one's easy because our head goes, I've had this experience in my life. And so you pull from it. What I'm trying to do is always tap a human existing system and say, hey, system, respond to me. Yeah, and maybe it's because I, I talked to Todd Churches yesterday, although again, when this publishes it, it will be weeks ago. Right. But one of the things he said about visual leadership is his kind of image on the cover of his book is an eye with a rainbow pupil or iris. And basically to him, he's saying, this is the diversity of human experience, whether it's culturally or, you know, all these different ways. And even when we're conveying images, we can't always be sure what the background of the other person is. And we have to really be aware of that. And he gives really simple examples like baseball analogies may not work for people. Right. Yeah. For sure. But I just want to say that to say your car magazine may have been the perfect story and the perfect example. It may just be that you couldn't account for my use of collage. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. um, There's a grand book that has some of this in it called The Red Thread by Tamsin Webster. She's a Boston lady and definitely worth checking out The Red Thread. So the last thing you asked me is how do I kind of get people to fill in or build on or anything like that? It's always about leaving air in your story for someone to fill in their details. Even when we watch like a superhero movie, we think to ourselves, could I be Iron Man? Would it be cool to have that much money in a little armor suit? And you start kind of thinking your way through what would that world be like or whatever. We think about that in any kind of world building kind of thing we watch. If we watch a show about a woman in an Amish community who needs to get out because something awful has happened and like she's having a really tough time, we think, oh my gosh, what would I do in that situation, right? That's what we do in watching films and enjoying stories. So when we tell even a business story, if there's no element of what would you do, or if there's no element of what can you add, what can you bring to this picnic, you check out. It's like when you go to someone's birthday party and there's nothing for you to do and just watch them and clap. Mm. Guess who doesn't want to clap? A whole crap ton of kids who didn't get toys. It's just not that interesting. When you go to someone's award show and it's not you, you're just like, oh, good for you, other person right? Like it's not that fun. So what one needs to do is how do we put you into it? So how, yeah. How do you put somebody else into it? It can be so simple. If we go back to our, you know, kid getting ground in the thing, 
you can even just give them that quick aside. Like there's probably been some situation in your life where you really knew something and couldn't convey it well to somebody else, but you know that their life would be better if they believed you. Here's one of those moments. Mm -hmm. So in your head, you're like, oh my gosh, I totally told my brother. If we go down this hill, it's so steep that your bike brakes aren't going to work and you were going to go through the traffic and you're going to smack a car, right? Whatever it is, whatever that thing is. Or you might talk about the fact that there's a couple kind of people in the world. There's people that when they see a sign that says great white sharks in this water, they go, good idea, not going in. And then there's people who think, I think I'll just go in the water a little because I've been scared of sharks my whole life. So wouldn't that be kind of fun if I got in there and swam around a little just to see if I could do it? And yes, they can, especially because no one knows that you peed in the ocean. So <laughs> I just, I just want to make an observation. Mm-hmm. This is now the second time you've been on my podcast. Talking and, about bodily functions? Yes. And this is the second bodily function in even this episode. I love bodily functions. So before we go deeper into bodily mm. functions, which is what I'm afraid might happen if mm. I let you speak, so I'm going to interrupt you. This is so much good information. Now, because you have a great way of recapping that isn't just a list like I do, right. can you recap? List. Sure. This idea, the story leadership idea, is that stories are a basic unit of memory. Everything I taught today was about how do I invoke some memory that taps a memory of yours to formulate a new path. So I take my old memory plus your old memory and I equal a new set of instructions for you that you'll remember because we both invested memory in it. That's what story leadership is. The idea is that if I give you something that's better than the facts that lets you remember the part you most need to remember and not think about the parts that are just detail, then things are going to get better. You don't have to fill the thing to 100%. Those milk bottles are fine right now because they're fake. We just made them up in our head. You're safe. But out there in the world, there are situations where you're going to have to remember these things. And when you do, stories glue it all together in our head because you remember we listened to Marion's podcast and there was that poop guy on and right like that's what's gonna happen so that's the recap thank you Chris Brogan for being my guest thank you Chris Zarnock for editing the show and especially thank you for listening and now here's the part where I ask you one favor please if you like this show If you think we should be having more conversations like this, send a link, tell a few friends about it, and help us spread the word and grow the show. I thank you, and I'll see you next time.